I'm Collier Landry. And I'm Brenda Fisher. And this is Moving Past Murder, Episode 7. So, Brenda, last week we opened one of my father's letters. We did. Which I had not seen, and I don't know if I was going to pick a starting letter. That's what I would have picked, but it is what it is, because, you know, we're doing this. We're, we're keeping the authenticity high on this program. That's what it's all about, right? Absolutely. And I have no idea what's going to come out of those letters or what to expect, and Man, the first one, it was a doozy. It was, yeah. And then there's still half of it, which, which we're going to read at some point, because then he gets into sort of fantasizes and romanticizes about his relationship with my mother. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but the last letter dove into sort of my mother's side of the family and a brief history about her side of the family and her parents and my sister, or I'm sorry, her sister, Carol, mm. uh, which was interesting because I reached out to a cousin of mine after we recorded that episode and um, he had some interesting things to say. So uh, we're going to talk about it. What do you think? I think that is a fantastic idea. All right, let's get to it. Let's do it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Maureen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son of accused murderer, Mansfield Dr. John Boyle, finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. Did the jury in this case find the defendant guilty? I confront my incarcerated father in prison. And finally, I'm going to have that moment where I can ask this man, Why, Dad? Why did you do this? Everyone knows it's premeditated. What I want to know is why. I have told you the truth. This is a psychopath. He's believing it while he's saying it. Do you think you're a sociopath? No, no, no. So, Brenda, last week we, for the first time ever, opened my father's letter out of my big bag of goodies. Yes. Which is AKA the bin of my father's letters that I recently acquired. And yeah, we didn't know what we were going to be reading. And again, I don't know if I would pick that letter to start with, but uh, we did. So there was a lot of really personal things about my family history because, you know, the letter was dated 2007. So I was, what, 29 at the time? And I believe I had asked my father about, like, what about the family history? Because I know nothing about my family, really, other than what I've heard or what you know, my mother had told me growing up or my father, and you can't believe anything out of my father's mouth. Yeah. And my mother, you know, also in a way had a lot of stories that weren't necessarily accurate. So, and it's not like I can sit here and ask her these now. Right. Right. So it's one of those things that you, yeah, it's just, it's, it's difficult. So, in like February of 2019, uh, I got a random Facebook message from a guy and he was, he's, I guess he he was my mother's cousin. So on my mother's side of the family, the Lebwith side of the family. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and I never even heard of this guy before, but <clears throat> we talked and we got along and he had seen the documentary. And he, he was you know, really proud of me for doing it and, and everything like that and honoring my mother and uh, the documentary being A Murder in Mansfield. Right. And he, uh, you know, he had a lot of positive things to say and, you know, had not known my mother super well growing up, but his brother had. Uh, my brother had known her 
better because he was a little bit older than him uh, and knew my Aunt Carol, which is my mother's sister, really, really well. Um, so I reached, uh, you know, he, we kind of lost touch a little bit, COVID and all that stuff. I, you know, he had some issues in the family and he got remarried and, uh, we reconnected probably about a month ago. He had heard the podcast and saw it on Facebook and, you know, was really stoked about me doing it and whatnot. And we were talking, he said, Hey, I have, um, you know, one of the cousins on your mother's side of the family is doing a, uh, is doing a sort of family history. And I want to make sure you're a part of that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. We kind of got into more conversation about um, my mom growing up. And he said, you know, my, my brother you know, was really close to your mom's sister, Carol. He's like, you need to talk to my brother. Because one of the things in, in this whole scenario growing up and dealing with all of this is I don't really know a lot about my family, like I said. So... I am still on this journey of trying to discover where I come from. Right. And, you know, we talked last week, we joked about it, but I'm going to get the 23andMe test. I'm going to do the 23andMe and we're going to do it live on this podcast. I promise. In fact, I should just order that this week. I said that last week. I'm going to order this week. I, I need to actually just do it. <clears throat> but do. anyways, he said, you know, you should talk to my brother. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hit him up and, and, and tell him that you want to talk to him. I was like, great. So I didn't hear from him for a minute, but it was no big deal. I didn't get back to him, you know, life a couple of weeks later. And so this last week when I was driving to set, I, you know, he's on the East coast. So I, I sent him a phone call and said, Hey, you know, I'm driving to set. Just want to catch up. I'm going to be in the car for a couple of hours. Yada, yada. Right. So he finally called me back the next day. And he, you know, we were talking a little bit. He's like, yeah, I heard the latest podcast. I have a, I said, yeah, I read this letter from my father and really kind of made me angry. He was, you know, speaking about my Aunt Carol and sort of passing what I felt, passing judgment, blame shifting, doing the sociopath thing, the projection, the gaslighting, all of that, which I can now see as an adult, which is amazing. I wouldn't be able to really see that as a child. But I, I said, he said, yeah, he's like, you know, I spoke to my brother and he's like, I don't really know how to tell you this. And I He's like, but I talked to my wife about it and she said, I should just be honest with you. And I'm like, okay, great. What did he say? He goes, he doesn't have any interest in talking to you. And I was like, oh, wow. Why? <laughs> well, and he, and he said, you know, I don't really understand why he feels this way. Um, but I guess apparently his brother had sent him a text and said, don't be sucked in to call your scheme. Uh, he is just like his father. He is from the same lineage. He is just like his father. Now, mind you, I've never met this man ever in my life. And for him to say, I'm just like my father, which I, which I can only be, I am so, not, I am so, and for those of you who have seen the movie, I think you could attest, I am definitely not my father, as is, you know, recorded in the annals of history, you know, in the documentary, but also, I'm just, I don't, you know, he's very intelligent, he's, he was tall, dark, like myself, but that's probably about where it stops, 
and I'm definitely my mother's son. But this is, you know, and, and this, this cousin, you know, he was really pissed at his brother. He's like, I don't understand this. And I said, you know, man, I've been dealing with this my whole life. This is not new to me. Right. Unfortunately, this is not new for my family to sort of paint me in this light of, okay, he's just like his father because my aunt, my aunt Carol, my mother's sister literally had confided in me when I was like around 20, when I went to see her that they have a really hard time relating to me or dealing with me. And that's why they didn't relate with me or deal with me because I look like my father. And that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. But I mean, Yes, we can say, oh, it's really dumb and, and it sucks and that's stupid. Why can't they get over it? But my father caused so much destruction for their family that if you're not in a place where you can really deal with that, it's like it's overwhelming, really. It is, but you were a kid and you have no control over your father and you are the one that basically put your life in danger to solve your mother's murder and to make sure that he went to jail. And I didn't see any of them stepping up to help you. Yeah, no, but, and that's a great point, (laughs) but it, 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 you know, me trying to be the apathetic individual that I am. Right. I don't know. And you're trying to understand their side of it and trying to be open to that. But you were a kid and you are just as much your mother's son as you are your father's. And if they can't see that and they can't honor her by keeping you as part of the family, then to me, that's that's a slap in the face to her. And I don't think she would be happy about it. Yeah, it's it's a challenge for sure. I um it's difficult to hear things like that because again, I am I am I am so not my father. <laughs> I am so not him, so to have them really I mean, but this is my whole life. There are these hard feelings, you know, he molested Anyways, the cousin was telling me, I said, well, can you elaborate more on what he said? He goes, yeah, he says, I, you know, he was there in the room when my aunt Carol got the phone call that my mother was murdered. And he was there when the girls had finally opened up that they were molested by my father when he gave them quote unquote physicals because he was a doctor. So he thinks my father, rightfully so, is probably the most destructive human being on earth. I cannot say I disagree with that, but I don't, I guess I just don't understand because his brother was trying to explain to him like, okay, you understand that Collier was 11 years old when his mother was murdered, 12 years old when it went to trial, when he testified against his father. And if he didn't do that, his father would have walked free. He is just as much a victim and he was there for his mother in, in a way that you, that nobody else was. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to these people. They don't care because they only see it their way. And and maybe it's solipsistic. I don't know. I mean, probably. But at the same time, the, the, the good part of me goes, as, as angry and as sad as I am to hear that, 
I'm, I'm like, I kind of, I kind of get it, I guess. I mean, it's, we all have these defense mechanisms, right? We all have these, these ways that we protect ourselves. But again, this is like why we're doing this podcast, why we're talking about it. This is all part of the process of moving past murder. Right. And my family wholeheartedly rejected me both sides because, and you know, I was telling this cousin, I said, you know, well, and I, of course I feel bad. I go, well, you know, I told them that I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't want to move to Baltimore with them. I didn't, I didn't want to. And I was like, but I, but I was going through all of it. My mother had just been found and I knew, and I was in foster care and I was scared. I just lost my whole way of life. So I didn't want to leave that. I didn't even want to, you know, my friends, that's, I was trying to cling to anything I had, but he was, you know, reassuring, like, yeah, you were a 12 year old kid, 12 year old kids say things like they can't, but they use that sort of excuse to be like, oh, see, he doesn't want to come with us. So, okay, great. It's like they were trying, but they weren't really trying. And on top of that couple, but really what the true answer is that I got later on in life is that they could not handle me because I looked like quote unquote life, like my father. That's just nutty. But I wonder, you know, and I want to talk to some other people on this program because again, this is part of moving past murder who have had parents who are violent criminals or murderers and how does that affect their life? And not saying that their father murdered their mother or their mother murdered their father or anything, anything that crazy or intimate. But I don't know if these, you know, I know Manson had many kids, right? Yes. <laughs> right? We were a part of that whole cult. But do, do if these people like John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer or, well, I think Jeffrey Dahmer was gay, but I don't know. Um, but not that he can't have children, but I don't think he had any offspring. The, anyways, these people who are these murderers have offsprings if they if those kids have to deal with the same sort of stigma because this this is like just the tip of the iceberg because i grew up and i would be in relationships with girls and when i would finally if they didn't know me from like back home or know my story you know when i moved to california and i start to tell them uh, you know about my life it's not really i mean yeah it's not really first date material (laughs) like oh hey tell me about your childhood Oh yeah, it was really <laughs> it was really screwed up. Let me tell you the whole story. I don't usually delve into that, but I I would eventually, and their friends or relatives would would say, "Oh, you know, well he he might have that in there. He might have that rage. He might do that to you. Be careful." But, but it's like that's again nutty, nutty. You can have the same DNA and still not make the decisions that that person made. Sure. I would love to see if people have done DNA tests out there and have found out that they are the offspring of someone who's done some very bad things and have them speak up and say, listen, I have the DNA and I'm fine. You know, it would probably be very cathartic for those of you out there that are offspring of people who have murdered other people, you guys could almost start a club of I'm a good person, even though I'm related to someone who isn't. So I'm sure that uh, that would be an interesting interview or interviews. It would, it would, it would really make a very, yeah, it would make a very cool conversation for me. I just would love to sort of be on that same common ground and just try to relate because it, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, 
and you figure something like that, right? A John yeah. Wayne Gacy or right. a, you know Son of Sam or what? Maybe the same person. I don't know. I, pick pick your famous murderer, true crime people, because these things go you know to like an international scale, right? And they murder people from multiple families, oh, right? Definitely. So the stigma that these kids would have to come on the scrutiny and stigma is probably is way worse, I guarantee, than my own. Right. If they even tell anyone. Yeah. I mean, imagine living with that and not even being able to say it. At least with me, the destruction, as crazy as it is and, and as destructive as it is, at least it was, you know, somewhat, you know, sort of self-contained, right? It was right. Like contained within there my was, family. There was containment. And even though it was, a, even though, as, as we outlined in the film of Murder Romance, where we were showing the consequences of violence on not only individuals, but, you know, ancillary victims, communities, yada, yada, right? Something I'm very passionate about, as you know. But it was still self-contained. He murdered my mother, I testified, right? He did not murder multiple people in other <laughs> other families, other states, other whatever. So the destruction was more contained within a family, you know, blood within a certain bloodline, if you will. Right. I don't know. I think that maybe these things make people take a really hard look at themselves and it gets really uncomfortable. I mean, obviously, it gets really uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about anything. Nobody from my family wants to talk to me. I mean, I'm so lucky that this cousin came out of nowhere literally a couple of years ago. I mean, it's so amazing to... That is re- cool. To connect with somebody I don't even know, just coming out of the woodwork and being like, hey, and then the, the really cool thing was is there's another, like, another one of his cousins that was also knew my mother really well that is doing like a family history. He... But he contacted me if you're hearing the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, I, this guy, you know, he's down in Florida. He's doing a, uh, a family history. I want to hook you up with him because I want to make sure that you are a part of our family's history and what you've done and what you did for your mother. Yeah. And that's really cool. That is really cool. And it's nice to know that there are family members that are willing to include you and not make you feel like you're a complete outsider because of something he did. Not you, what he did. You did something really positive to make to honor your mother's murder and her life and to make sure that, you know, he went to, to prison. And what, you know, to me, what a 12-year-old kid did, you know, outweighed what these other family members did that were adults. And, you know, they need to give you some credit for that. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't want the credit. I just don't want to be labeled oh he's just like his father the bad he seed just, you know, he's the he's got the same genetics he's got got the same ted because that's just bullshit it really is <laughs> it uh, you know and i think i've lived my entire life but i've lived my entire life also with that segment because then i remember getting in confrontations with you know people Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think I was telling you about this on a, just a personal note, but I just remember really like when I went from a private school to a public school, I was bullied a lot. And for whatever reason, kids get bullied in high school it's, and I survived, right? I lived through it. You know, I didn't have to like, you know, start a movement. It was okay. Just sort of part of life. Uh, we call it initiation, I suppose. But, you know, I know that this is a different era. And we're all very worried about bullying, which I, you know, right. cyberbullying and things like that is, is very insidious so I'm not mm-hmm. making light of it but what I am saying is you know for a lot of people that have been through that type of thing you will get through it it's 
just keep your head up because you know. right but i remember specifically getting thrown up into lockers and people getting in my face and i remember not wanting to fight back even though i was like a, you know i was a big kid and then i was a fighter i didn't have an aggressive but i was especially reticent to do anything or get into any sort of aggressive encounters because it scared me because i felt like if that if there might be a hidden switch that i'm not aware of that just you know boom right snaps and i you know go full-on postal on them and just rip them to shreds you know i go way over the top so i was always really conscientious of that for a really long time and then i kind of got over it i was like that's not going to happen like i'm not that person but you know you especially when you're a teenager growing up and you're so confused and you're dealing with everything i was dealing with you almost wonder, do I have those tendencies? Because you're already calling that into question. And then have other people call them into question? Your own family? It makes you, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And if anyone had actually seen you in action, especially with your chihuahua blondie, they oh would know you don't have a mean bone in your body. I don't. I don't. Uh so anyways, that was a really interesting conversation. And he, you know, he's like, I'm going to still talk to my brother and I'll see if he'll come around. And I said, you know, but he could feel, I, I guess the whole sort of rewarding thing for me, if there is anything rewarding out of this particular conversation was the fact that someone else in my family for the first time saw what I have been dealing with since I was a child and how insane it is <laughs> right it's probably really nice to have someone to talk to about that stuff too that's in your family and, but i mean when he you know he could see it for his own eyes like literally reading the text message going this makes absolutely no sense yeah i'm like but and I, and I and i said but dude this is what i have been dealing with my entire life <laughs> i've been rejected by all these people because of the sins of the father right and i am like the furthest thing from this man and I don't know it's you know we we live in a society which is based upon stereotypes and prejudices and, and things of that nature and it goes well beyond the color of someone's skin it, you know it's it, for example I'm doing a film right now uh, color correcting with this uh, Italian director and very quickly he is you know his wife is from a, a wealthy Italian family and he is from a sort of, they're a different type of rich. They're, you know, old school way of Italian making money, you know, AKA mafia activity. So, you know, he was a bit of a pariah. He was a complete pariah when they got married and they don't want anything to do with them because of that, because there's prejudices in that. I know I felt like a pariah in my own family at a very early age. And I don't think anyone should have to feel that way. So, and I was telling this story earlier today because my neighbor <laughs> comes out, you know, not the neighbors that I mentioned last week that make the... The really good food. Yeah, that are Tunisian, making the really good Tunisian food. But I did ask him, Brenda, just for you. Mm -hmm. I said, next time you're cooking something, can I come down and knock on the door? He's like, absolutely, man. I'd love to. And he tells me that they're, a lot of their dishes are based on lamb huh. and couscous. Yum. 
That's their thing. I'm in, in Tunisia, and I'm like, oh, okay. I am here. But it's for like a it. different type of couscous than most of us are are familiar with. He was explaining it to me. Huh. So, my other neighbor, who when I first moved in, I've been here what a couple months now. He's actually, ironically, from Cleveland, Ohio, and then lived in Baltimore huh. before he moved to California. So Baltimore is where my aunt was living, or I don't think she lives there anymore. But that's where all of this happened and the, the stuff with my aunt and. The, the kids and all that, you know, everything I was just speaking about. So, which is kind of ironic, but I told him about my documentary cause he has a son that's in film school and, you know, I gave us, I did a music video and I brought his son on the job so he could, you know, participate and get a little work experience, which is, you know, how I came up. I was, you know, I just, just tag along on jobs, work for free, but Hey, you get to learn stuff. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, he came out today with his little dog and he just was looking at me and he's like, so I watched your film. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, you watched it finally. He's like, yeah. He's like, man, like the fact that you are a put together individual who is not like curled up into a ball. Right. Just, just completely isolated from the world is like, he's like, it's a fucking miracle, man. And I was like, you know, thanks. And then we, you know, we started you know, we kind of got onto this topic randomly about my father, because obviously that's the big scene in the film is I confront my father in prison and, and all of this. And I started kind of telling him a little bit of the backstory. But I mentioned that, you know, reading this letter on the podcast last week and I said, you know, my family, but he was asking me specifically, like the things you learn from parents, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got two kids. So he's been thinking a lot about this. Uh, you, what is he leaving his kids with? What does he set them up with as far as like, not financially or anything like that, but leaving them with like life skills, right? What if he, what has he taught them as a parent? How has he lived his life to show them? Hey, because they're both like coming into college age. Right. And so they're, you know, young adults getting ready to get out in the world and, you know, do that whole thing. Right. So, He's uh he's been very cognizant of it. Then we saw the film. He was like, wow. And just how he could, he's like, he says, you were a little bench, weren't you? And I was like, uh, he, <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I guess so. Thanks. Uh, hmm. Because, uh, you know, he was just talking about, uh, about how I was. And he's like, your mother really left a mark on you. And I was like, well, yeah. I was like, I am definitely my mother's son. But we, we started engaging this whole, you know, sort of sins of the father type of discussion. And I was telling him about the, the reaction from the, the cousin and his, you know, his uncle or sorry, his, his older brother. And how do, do you, I was like, you know, Jerry, do you feel this way? Like, you know what he said? No, that's not a fair judgment. And, you know, we started getting got this you know philosophical conversation about how societies kind of judge these people. And, uh, it was very interesting and he was expressing his own sort of, he was abandoned. He felt very abandoned by his mother as a child, both him and his, his siblings mm -hmm. uh, because she wasn't there. She was kind of vacant and he was, you know, probably for a lack of better word, uh, you know, a latchkey kid in a certain, to a certain degree. So, and how that affected him and how he has tried to regain closure. And so he was, watching the film and he said you know it really inspired him to keep on that path again because he feels very strongly that you you have to confront these demons 
with your with your parents or 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 with with whomever because when they pass away you'll never have those moments and don't be scared of taking those moments to say look this is how i feel this is what happened when i was a kid this is this is my truth right because a lot of times he says you know his mom gets upset and says oh i didn't do that i didn't do that he's like but mom you did and you know he's it, it kind of brought him a renewed sort of interest in his journey of, of trying to reconcile with her just for the sake that he feels before something happens to her that he did everything he could. And I told him, I was like, you do everything you can, but I was like, you have to accept the fact that they might not give you the answer that you're looking for. But that, as I say in the film, right. My father says, I be, you know, I say, I, I believe that you believe that dad. And that's my answer because he just doesn't give me a quote unquote answer that we were, that I was expecting or anyone was expecting. Right. Right. So spoiler alert. So, and again about the, you know, I did a Ted talk about this too. What if the answer you seek is not the answer you need? Because at the end of the day, if I had gotten the answer that I was supposedly out for originally, would that have brought me the peace and solace that I sought? And I'm going to be willing to bet. No. And the guy in the, you know, the guy, the doctor who I'm seeing, Dr. Dennis Marikas in the film, you know, he tells me, and I don't know if we have it filmed, but he told me privately, he goes, if your father had given you the answer that you thought you needed, you would have probably had way more questions than you did. And it's just a vicious cycle that way. So I don't know. Things to think about this week. Yes, for sure. Perspectives to shift does make you think about a lot of things but just thinking back to the whole you're like your father thing I mean you might have some things that you picked up from him trait wise I mean you're extremely intelligent you know you definitely can learn things and you research things and maybe those things are similar but the core of who you are and I think that is the big takeaway the core of who you are comes from who you want to be. And, you know, I know that you look at him and you think about him daily, um, you know, in everything that you do and make sure that, you know, you're only using the good parts and you're staying away from the bad parts and you're probably more cognizant of it than most people are. Um, a lot of people just don't think about those things and I know that you do and you keep yourself in check because you are dead set on not being the worst parts of him sure absolutely absolutely well that was a fun conversation wasn't it <laughs> I'm Collier Landry and I'm Brenda Fisher and this is Moving Past Murder thanks y'all This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video.
This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.